This is a Federal News Network podcast. In doing economic analyses leading to changes in federal benefits, agencies are obligated to do them in a certain way. During the pandemic, the Agriculture Department redid an index resulting in a big boost in Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. The Government Accountability Office finds USDA didn't quite proceed properly. We get more now from the GAO's Director of Education, Workforce and Income Security Issues, Catherine Laren. Ms. Laren, good to have you with us. Thanks for having me. And let's begin with the background here. Uh, This concerns calculating something called the Thrifty Food Plan. Tell us what that is and how it relates to the uh, very famous SNAP program. Yeah, the Thrifty Food Plan is a set of foods that can be purchased in a grocery store at a low cost. That's really the simple definition. It should meet certain requirements. For example, the foods should provide the daily recommended amounts of energy and nutrients. They should include foods that are convenient and easy to prepare and that are similar to how Americans normally eat. So it's almost like a market basket, you might say. That's exactly what it is. It's a market basket at the lowest possible price point. And that price point then of that market basket becomes the basis for the SNAP actual benefit then? The maximum SNAP benefit is set by the Thrifty Food Plan. Let me ask you this then. The gist of the report that I got was that in calculating that market basket, that TFP as they call it, that activity itself gets the status of a project. Yeah, absolutely. USDA uses a very complex economic model to determine the TFP. And it is a lengthy and meticulous process that involves multiple decision points. So yeah, it is a project. So it's not something they can just casually update from time to time. I mean, it sounds like a big deal and a big effort to do this. It's almost econometric modeling, it sounds like. Yes, it is a very complex economic model that involves so many inputs and so many decisions. Because the leverage it has amounts to billions and billions then, correct? That's really what's key, is the impact of the TFP. Because it sets SNAP benefits, it has an impact on federal spending. Let me ask you this. Does the idea ever come up to do the TFP, this thrifty food plan, Take two agriculture employees, send one to Dollar General, send one to Aldi's, see what it costs, and they would have an answer in 10 minutes. No, it is so much more difficult than that because they use a database of food prices, food prices that consumers actually face in grocery stores across the entire country and availability of foods across the entire country. It's not as simple as that. It is a very complex process. So the SNAP benefit a person receives then or a family receives is location dependent. The benefit is not location-dependent. The SNAP benefit is the same for families throughout the country. But what I'm saying is that if you were to go into a Dollar General or into a local Aldi, you might find a certain set of prices that are not representative of what people face everywhere. And the prices that USDA uses are more representative. We're speaking with Catherine Laren. She's Director of Education, Workforce, and Income Security Issues at the GAO. And you found that in doing the new version of the Thrifty Food Plan, this project, the USDA didn't really follow proper project management techniques. Tell us more. Yeah, USDA made a couple of key decisions early in the process. One was to accelerate the reevaluation, And this was really in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. And they had originally planned on issuing a new 
TFP in 2022, but they accelerated the process by six months. So they had to do it more quickly. The other thing that they decided was to allow the cost of the TFP to increase beyond inflation for the first time in 45 years. And why would they do that? Over time, a lot of questions have been raised about the Thrifty Food Plan and whether it is adequate to address food insecurity and whether it aligns with the economic realities that families face today, for example, the amount of time they have to prepare food. Sure. This might be out of the scope of the study, but do they need congressional authority to be able to exceed inflation in coming up with the Thrifty Food Plan, or can they do that at their discretion? They can do that at their discretion. The law provides certain criteria that they have to follow, but cost neutrality was not one of those. And what was the result in terms of the cost of the program of this calculation that was exceeding inflation? The reevaluation resulted in a 21% increase in the cost of a thrifty food plan and therefore a 21% increase in the, the maximum SNAP benefit. Yeah, so that was really a major outlay then from USDA that just came because of this calculation. Yes. Well, not following project management procedures, what do they miss doing and what are your recommendations that they do now? So project management practices are foundational to quality control and project success. They help to mitigate risk. They help ensure that project goals are met. And by not following these practices, USDA failed to ensure that key quality assurance measures were followed. And so So we don't really know whether the thrifty food plan is correct or not then. Yeah, whether the outcome was correct or not correct was outside the scope of our review. But what we really looked at was what was the process that they followed? Process matters. And did they follow processes that would ensure quality and mitigate risk? So even though you didn't evaluate the quality of the outcome, the potential is there to either overcalculate or undercalculate if they don't follow what they have assigned themselves as their proper project management techniques. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Those techniques are there to ensure quality. So do you recommend that they redo the thrifty food plan? I mean, since that happened, there's been a lot of actual inflation. So the thrifty food plan will continue to be adjusted for inflation. And the Farm Bill provided for USDA to reevaluate every five years. So they will have to reevaluate the TFP before 2027. And we recommend that they follow our recommendations when they do that next reevaluation. What other recommendations did you have for them? Well, we found a couple of other issues with the way that they did the recalculation. One is that they didn't do an external peer review. So an important quality assurance process is to allow external parties to review the process, review the outcome, and provide comments and provide input. They didn't collect some outside external input, but they didn't really incorporate it into the calculation, and they didn't have an external peer review. Another recommendation is around the actual process of manipulating the model. Many of the methodological and policy decisions that were required to update the TFP, in doing those, USDA didn't follow standards for economic analysis. And by that, what I mean is they didn't document key decisions 
or the rationale behind those decisions. They didn't conduct analyses of how certain decisions would affect the outcome. And they didn't determine how it would affect the cost of the market basket. And they didn't document those decisions. And did they generally agree with your recommendations? No, they didn't agree or disagree with our recommendations. In other words, they agreed in principle I guess they acknowledged the value of some of our recommendations, but they didn't commit to taking any specific steps to address them. But we hope that when it comes time to conduct the next reevaluation, that they do follow them. We really are laying out some very specific practical steps that USDA can take to ensure the integrity and transparency of the process. Catherine Laren is Director of Education, Workforce and Income Security Issues at the GAO. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. And we'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive, along with a link to that report. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Sean Ferguson, Senior Vice President of Government Relations and Chief of Staff to the Office of the Chairman at the Special Olympics, joins host Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA to discuss the importance of leadership, inclusion, and community building. To learn more about how you can get involved with the Special Olympics in your community, visit specialolympics.org slash get dash involved. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned working with that community? Oh, uh, yeah, almost... uh... Shane, it's almost immeasurable. The things I've learned since I've been with Special Olympics. I uh, one of the things that drew me to Special Olympics uh, when I made the move over from from the NFL uh, was that my mother, my grandmother, my aunt all took care of of people with intellectual disabilities and 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 physical disabilities as well. So all of my life, I was uh, interacting and around um, usually usually young people, but also adults with disabilities. And so I, I knew that I knew that work a bit, you know, they, they basically were in d- direct care. And, and I will say, you know, and I obviously will say about my, my family, my mother, my aunt, my grandmother, they're saints. Uh, but, uh, the, the men and women that do take care of people with uh, pr- profound disabilities are, are really, um, you know, we, we can't do enough to salute them. Um, they're, they're really heroes. And, um, so I was, I was drawn when I, I, and I just saw that, you know, Special Olympics was looking for someone and I thought, well, you know, take a look at it and see, see, you know, throw, uh, send in my information and lo and behold, I, I, I get hired and, um, I learn, uh, every day, almost something from, especially from our athletes. Uh, we're blessed to have a number of athletes that work here in our office in Washington, DC. And, you know, uh, Terrell, who, who works in, in our mailroom, who comes by with packages and deliveries. Uh, if you're having a day that's, you know, getting away from you and you, you <laughs> coffee hasn't kicked in, but Terrell comes by, always happy, always enthused, uh, has a, has a good story. Like it can just turn a day around for you. And, and, and you think of, I, I, you know, so often when you'll walk away, I'll be like, you know, whatever was bothering me or whatever is, you know, stressing me out and come on, you know, like, look at, look at Terrell, like he, he he faces everything with optimism. And, and, and I've seen that also in our going to competitions in throughout the United States and globally, you see people who have had everything stacked against them. You know, their parents, when they were born, were often told this is a tragedy and you should, you should 
you know, send your, this child away. Don't, don't, you know, and kind of forget about them, Get, turn them over to the state or, or wherever. And, and, you know, that, you know, just kind of wash, wash your hands of it. Um, and, and, and in, in these cases, the parents didn't do that, thankfully. Um, and, but they've still faced enormous challenges, you know, and, but you see them out competing on the basketball courts or the football fields or swimming and, uh, and, and, you know, besting their times from, from their last competition. And they're so committed and just keep fighting through all the obstacles that they've had in front of them that are not just on the sports field, but also in growing up and finding education and finding groups to be part of and trying to find jobs. And, and, and I've seen so much perseverance and grit uh, from the athletes of Special Olympics that, uh, I, I, Tim Triver, my boss, the chairman, uh, says all the time, and I couldn't agree with him more. Uh, we get more than we give uh, working with Special Olympics. It, you know, we, and thank you for your very kind words about the work I do and we do. But but we're the lucky ones. We, those of us that work here are the lucky ones because I I said to someone the other day, you know, the things that I've been able to see and experience with athletes, you just don't get to do that anywhere. That that you know, it's a and it's so unique and it's so. Uh, joyful and and uh, I mean we work hard and you know we we're up against you know the things that nonprofits are up against and you know the you know the issues of the day but uh man you see it, it, and 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 the inclusion and the at special olympics no one's excluded you know no, right. no one's excluded yeah. everyone is equal at special olympics it, and you know in a country that's quite divided on so many lines politically and uh, socially uh, economically race and uh, sexual orientation and whatnot, but you go to Special Olympics and everyone's involved, everyone's welcome, everyone's equal. And I've learned that it's a model for our country and for our world. Uh, I, I just think that that if if people were involved in Special Olympics and experienced the power of Special Olympics for themselves, I, I, I can't imagine that won't help our country and help our world um, to experience that true inclusion and acceptance of difference. How, how do we get how can listeners get involved in Special Olympics? Ways to get involved? Uh, tons of ways. So uh, volunteers, obviously, coaches, officials. Um, and, and the thing that, that, that uh, Tim Shriver has done uh, and really pushed in the years that he's been chairman is the unified sports model that, that I mentioned earlier. Um, where people, and, and it doesn't have to be, uh, it's not just school age, it's, it's uh, you know, we say nine to 99 or uh, year old uh, folks uh, that play on teams, uh, bowl together, golf together, play soccer, basketball together, uh, people with and without intellectual disabilities competing on teams together. Um, and that is, I, I think when you, when you go back to the founding uh, of our organization and what Mrs. Tri Mrs. Shriver was trying to do uh, was to, to uh, create inclusion opportunities for people with intellectual disabilities. And you see it at these unified sports events where people with and without are playing together. We still have traditional uh, teams where it's all people with intellectual disabilities competing with other uh, teams, all intellectual disabilities. But this model of inclusive sports and inclusive leadership programs and whatnot, I think is truly revolutionizing and changing the way people see uh, others with intellectual disabilities. That's just like, I mean, that's what we 
that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring people together and bridge difference and, and, and celebrate differences. And that our athletes, man, are some of the grittiest people that you will meet. And, and, uh, and there's a lot to learn from our athletes and playing sports with them and interacting is, is how you'll learn it. Check us out, uh, you know, uh, specialolympics.org on, on our website, uh, that will link you to your local program. You can follow through the, the clicks of how to get involved and where, what's closest to you. You'll enjoy it. I can promise you that. Well, thank you very much, Sean. And, and to everybody listening, I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and we'll, uh, Talk to you next time on the Lessons in Leadership podcast. With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band. Next up for lead guitar. You're in. Cool. <laughs> yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC.